0: Luke ten twenty five to 37. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor To the man who encountered thieves. Then the legal expert said, The one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise.
1: Good morning. My name is Megan, and I'm the teaching pastor here at Trinity. I invite you to say a word of prayer with me as we approach God's word together this morning. God, we thank you that you are here because you were always here ahead of us. You who created all things are in all places and all spaces, constantly working, constantly turning to renew all things toward true full life. We pray that you would just reignite our vision this morning for what you are offering us and for what you are doing in the world. Breathe in your word by the power of your spirit so that it would live for us and we can live for you. Amen. I'll never forget um, quite a few years ago, I started attending a church that was doing a lot of evangelism in the community, and it was the first time I had a lot of extended conversations with people who had had no background previously with the church. And You know, there are so many things that Christians do that we don't really think about that are really weird if no one has ever explained them to you. I remember having a conversation with somebody at communion about communion that talked about the first time they'd come into a church that announced they were taking communion, and he shot back out the door and called his wife and said, they're eating people in that church. Uh, we're we're about to do something else that is commonly done in Christian churches that is kind of strange like that. Um, For 2,000 years, literally from the earliest record we have of Christian communities, um, there has been the same kind of ritual that is used to bring people into the life of the church, the ritual of baptism. And if you've been around the church for a while, maybe you haven't thought about how kind of strange this is, but what Christians do is when somebody says, I want to follow Jesus, we're like, we're going to put you in the dunk tank in front of everybody. Like it's, a, it's a really odd thing to do, right? Like, what, what does following Jesus have to do with getting wet? Why do we do this thing? Well, the, the short answer is Jesus said to do it. In Matthew 28, one of the last things Jesus tells his followers before he's going up to heaven is, I want you all to go out and make disciples, other followers of me from all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So one reason we do it is because Jesus said it, but where did Jesus get this idea? Baptism was not invented by Jesus and the disciples when they were a little sleep-deprived and were like, what would make a cool initiation ritual? Liturgical dance? No, nobody join us? I know, water. This idea was not actually invented by Jesus. It preceded Jesus. In the ancient world, there were a lot of individuals and a lot of different communities that had some kind of a ritual of immersing people in water, And probably the most relevant person who was already doing this was a cousin of Jesus named John. Now, John was kind of recognized as the last in a long line of people who had an office that the Old Testament people called the prophets. And the job of a prophet in, in the Old Testament in the ancient world, kind of similar to how we use the word prophet today, a prophet was a truth teller. It was the job of a prophet to go around talking to people about how they were doing in relationship to God and in relationship to everybody else. It's sort of like getting a a spiritual checkup, right? Like instead of for your body at the doctor, the prophet gives you a checkup for your spirit, for your soul. And John was a person in this line. Um, so he had started this ministry. He was operating out by the Jordan River outside the capital city. It actually, it, if you imagine the setting, I, I've been to the area where John was baptizing, and it's actually quite similar to, to thinking about the Salt River just outside Phoenix. Right, so you have a major urban area. You've got this little kind of river of water out on the outside of the city, and all these people who were living in the city were coming out of the city, going out to see John next to the river, to hear what he had to say. And basically, what John was saying to all these people who were coming out on retreats, withdrawing from the city to listen, John was saying to them, Listen, God has good desires for the world and for you. Here's what they are. And now I just want you to think about your life, hold that up to the good dreams of God for the world, and ask yourself, Are these two things aligned? Like, how does your relationship with the world, with the people around you, how does that look in comparison to God's dreams for what would make the world an amazing place? Right? Do do those things match up? If not, it's time for a change. When I imagine John doing this, I, I always have this kind of question in the back of my mind. Like, what would cause thousands of people to go out and respond to a message like that? Like, why would so many people find this message compelling? And, you know, the only thing I can think of, have any of you ever been on, like, a week or two long hike where you haven't showered for, like, five, ten days, anybody? Like, something weird happens to you in the process of not bathing for a really long time. You know, like, the first couple days, you just feel filthy. You just like don't even want to touch yourself. And then around day five, you just start forgetting how dirty you are. And you're like, just bring it on. Like, let's just roll in dirt, more dirt, right? Um, But but as soon as you come to the end of that trip and you get near a shower, suddenly you become aware again, there's like two inches of grime on your skin and it feels disgusting. You just want it off. And I I think that this is a sensation that we can have in general in life when we start paying attention to it. And because the ways that we're living, the ways that we're treating other people leave a mark. And sometimes we're not aware of it as it just begins to accumulate, but it starts building up on our skin. Just like all of the resentments we have toward other people. All of the kind of just like visceral hatred we feel for the other people on Facebook or Twitter. Like the the envy we have towards certain people. Like the, the selfish things we've done, the things we've said when we were mad that we regret, like the carelessness we've shown toward people, and it all starts accumulating and accumulating, and somebody invites us to be quiet for a moment and just pay attention, and all of a sudden we feel it. Like it just feels gross. Like have you ever felt that feeling like in your, in your, in your spiritual skin, like your character? <laughs> like I, I have said and done a lot of things I regret, and I just wish I could get it off me. Like, it's, it's weighing on me. I don't feel right. I've been behaving in ways toward my family and my friends and my spouse. I've been making decisions in my life that I don't feel good about. This isn't who I want to be. And now I don't know what to do about it. And this is what I think is really compelling to people about John, because John is like, hey, I've got an amazing opportunity for you. Have you ever wanted to start over well, here's what I'm offering today, a grand do-over. Come come into this water, wash off all of the mistakes of the past. Wash off all of that stuff that's been building up on you that you didn't know how to get rid of. This isn't my offer, this isn't coming from me, this is an offer from God that today there was a grand do-over, there's a grand amnesty being declared, come into the river, let me pour some water over you and come out and start the whole thing fresh. And it turns out that is a really liberating message to a lot of people. It's like really liberating to think, I mean, as I kind of sit with that thought for a second, like what if I could start the whole thing over? Like what if I could just blank slate this thing and all the mistakes that I made and the patterns I've been caught in, what if I could reboot all of it? That sounds so incredibly freeing. And John says there's just one qualification, there's no point in washing if you're just going to go home and climb in the same manure pile this afternoon, right? Like, there's no point in doing that. So here's the thing, for this washing to be meaningful, what has to come out of it is a commitment that from now forward, you are making a renewed commitment to live a God-shaped life. And interestingly, John, John gives people kind of two instructions on what does that look like, like very basically, Cliff Notes version. If you want to live a God-shaped life, what does it look like? And I love this, that John gives the summary, and he says two things. Um, Number one, he he talks to people who have these different jobs, people who are collecting taxes. Um, The text says soldiers, but basically these are policemen who are guarding the taxes that get collected. Uh, People with a variety of jobs in the ancient world that are not popular jobs. And John says to them, listen, whatever job you have from now on, just as a basic starting point, don't abuse other people, use your work to serve other people. It's interesting, John doesn't say like you need to get a new job, he says to them, you need to think about whatever your daily life is, whatever job you have, whatever thing you're doing, from here on out, if you're giving your allegiance to God, you're going to do it differently. You're going to do it not to take advantage of people, not to abuse people, but to serve people and build them up. That's one basic ingredient of a God-shaped life. Um, second thing John says is a little bit harder, which is why I saved it for a second. John also says to people, listen, whatever you own, whatever you possess that goes beyond the basic necessities of life, you should assume from here forward that whatever you have beyond the necessities are available to other people in need. That's what a God-shaped life looks like. Serving other people, not abusing them, and making what you have available for the needs of others. Those are the kind of fundamentals. And it's interesting John says this because this teaching of John aligns pretty darn closely to everything Jesus teaches. The only difference is that Jesus says, hey, by the way, you have to do that stuff, that serving, that giving, not just for people you like, but for your enemies too. Jesus just gives that little extra twist to what John has been teaching. But, But that's the kind of renewed life that John is asking people to commit to. So this is where the idea of Christian baptism started. It started here with the baptism of John. If you read what early Christians said about baptism, this is, they described it exactly like John does. That they, they said, this is a moment where you get to repent, which just means turn, change directions, receive God's forgiveness, and start over. Um, The one difference is that when that forgiveness, they said, comes in Jesus' name, like John was just baptizing in general, but when you baptize in Jesus' name, the early Christians said, it's less like a bath, because when you take a bath, you might forget to wash behind the ears. I mean, when you're baptized into Jesus, it's less like the bath where you might forget something, and it's more like actually dying and being resurrected. That's how serious the reboot is. It's like you have a new birthday, It's like you are emerging a brand new person, the start of a life that from here is going to last forever. Really, Christians, we should be celebrating our baptism, like, with even more vigor than we celebrate our birthday, because that life only lasts a certain number of decades. This life is the one that's going to keep going. This is a hard reboot. That's what the early Christians said about it. So, so we get this moment in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus has not yet, he, he is not known to anybody. He's almost, he's 30 years old. He hasn't really done any public ministry. And the very first thing Jesus does is he comes to his cousin John and comes to be baptized. Um, that might seem a little strange given what I've just said about baptism. Like Jesus doesn't have anything to wash off. He hasn't messed anything up. There's nothing that is caked on his skin. But for Jesus, this is a moment of solidarity with the rest of us. Like all of you are going to have to do this, Jesus says, so I'm going to get in the water with you and I'm going to do this beside you so you don't have to do it by yourself. And the second part of not just like washing the old things off, but making this new commitment to live a new way, that's the part that Jesus is saying, I'm doing this with you. I'm going to commit to living that life, that God-shaped life, just as I'm asking you to live it. I'm going to show you what it looks like. So Jesus kind of joins his followers in that act of washing off the old, and then he says, learn from me what the new should be. Learn from me what true life looks like. Now, If you read Luke's account of this baptism, every every gospel writer, every witness to Jesus tells their stories a little differently. And there's something really interesting about Luke's account, because this is very short. Did you notice that? It's just like two verses, and you don't see the baptism happening at all. And the reason you don't see the baptism is because what interests Luke is not the baptism, it's not the water, it's what happens after the water. Luke says, when, after Jesus was baptized, he was praying, and that's the moment heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him. Now, this has always raised a really big, obvious question to me. You know, why does Jesus need the Holy Spirit? Isn't he already good? Isn't he God? And why would Jesus need the Holy Spirit to come on him? Well, think about the amazing things that we see Jesus do in his ministry. He feeds 5,000 people with a Lunchable. (laughs) Sardine flavor, no longer popular. I mean, he, he drives out demons simply by speaking to them. It scares them so bad, they run away and drown themselves just to get away from him. Jesus shows up at parties, and he knows what the people around him are thinking, and he responds before they say anything out loud. And we tend to read these stories of Jesus that witnesses tell about him, and we don't really ask ourselves, how did Jesus do that? Because we think we know how Jesus did it. Jesus is Peter Parker, right? Right? He's human plus something. He's human 2.0. He's got those Jesus-y powers. Um, But that actually is not the story the Bible tells about Jesus. Um, Philippians 6, uh, the earliest hymn we have record of, probably from the Christian church, says this, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. The author of Philippians is saying here, hey, Jesus had no divine spider bite. Jesus was not born squealing naked in a manger in Bethlehem with a few extra divine powers tucked in his back pocket somewhere that he could pull out in case of emergencies. Jesus didn't go through the world hopped up on spiritual steroids that let him do amazing things, because if he did that, if he wasn't playing with the same equipment as the rest of us humans, how could he teach us what it's like to be human? Jesus didn't come with divine powers, so how did Jesus do all the stuff he's famous for? Well, this is how he did it. When Jesus was baptized and he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him and opened what you might imagine as a channel, a pipeline between Jesus and heaven. And all of the power and all of the wisdom and insight that fueled Jesus' entire ministry, all of that came from this pipeline held open by the Holy Spirit between Jesus and God. Everything that Jesus ever did that he's famous for came traveling through that channel. I want to go back for a second to verse 21 of this baptism story, and look what else Luke says. He also makes a close connection between Jesus' baptism and ours. Notice he says, when everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized, These words are not there accidentally. What Luke is doing here when saying everyone is being baptized and Jesus was baptized is he's connecting Jesus' baptism with everyone else's, and he's saying what happens here to Jesus has implications for everybody else. What happens here to Jesus, it has implications for everyone else who is baptized. Remember just a little bit earlier, John had told his followers that someone was coming— Someone, namely Jesus, in verse 16, who is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus, John says, is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, Jesus tells his disciples uh, before he leaves that the same Holy Spirit that came on him at his baptism, he's going to send on them. That's Jesus' big promise. The same spirit that came on me when I was baptized, I'm going to send on you when I go back to heaven. And when Jesus, after Jesus is resurrected, that's what happens. He sends that same spirit that came on him at baptism on his followers. And when it shows up, interestingly, it even looks like fire. Right? With the Holy Spirit and with fire, that's what it looks like. So these two pieces were really critical to how the early Christians talked about baptism. Baptism. On the one hand, they said, we baptize with water, and when we baptize with water, what this is symbolizing is that God is offering a washing, a cleansing, a new beginning, a complete reboot so that we can restart and commit ourselves to living in the way that God desires. But that's only the beginning. What Christians, early Christians also said about baptism is baptism is the place that heaven opens the Holy Spirit descends and a channel of connection is formed by the Spirit between us and God. When we see someone being baptized, the water is a symbol of God's forgiveness, but something very real is happening out of sight in the spiritual realm. When someone is baptized, something is actually occurring. The Holy Spirit is building this channel of connection between heaven and that person, between the throne of God and the morning's Sarai. It's being constructed out of you, And from now on, all of the love, all of the grace, all of the wisdom, all of the healing power of God is available to pour down that channel. Someone who is baptized has access to all of the resources of God to support the mission that they are participating in. I remember when I was baptized... I remember being really disappointed because I had truly had the idea in my head that something really dramatic was going to happen. Like, I I truly thought in the back of my mind I was going to hear some kind of voice. Like, I was going to feel some kind of tingle. When that channel opened up, I was going to kind of get a rush with it. I was really disappointed because I didn't feel anything. And I kind of wondered, did it take? (laughs) But here's what I know now 20 years later. It took... And I know that not just as a gesture of faith. I know that because I have experienced what it's like to feel things flow down that channel. I think of uh, one day when I was in a really difficult situation, I had to make a really tough choice, and I was as stressed out as I had ever been, and I was awake all night just desperately praying, God, what do I do? What do I say? How do I untangle this mess? And literally 2.30 in the morning, after like four solid hours of just being on my knees wrestling, I heard the answer clear as day, Megan, here's what you're going to say. Word for word, I wrote it down, went to sleep. The next day I went and said it, changed everything that was unfolding in that situation, I've sat with people and I prayed who have been experiencing just this onslaught of harassment from evil, just this kind of torment of voices in their head that are telling them they're worthless, that are telling them they can do nothing good, and I've said, in Jesus' name, evil, shut up, and I've seen that voice shut up. I've been in moments in my life where I've just been so desperate. Like, I remember one day just saying to God, I can't do this anymore. I need someone to come and help me and encourage me. And the next morning, there was a knock on my office door, and a total stranger showed up at my office and said, Megan, God told me to be here today. We don't know each other. I just know God sent me to talk to you. Like, these are the kind of things that happen when the channels open. I've experienced them again and again and again. This is why I get so excited about baptism, not just because it's a restart, but because it's a restart into a different kind of life than the life we have apart from Jesus. Not just a morally better life, but a life that is empowered by the presence of God, by the resources of God. Like when God says, you are a son, you are a daughter of mine, that means everything that's mine is yours. That means my refrigerator is open. (laughs) everything in my bank accounts you have access to. Like, that's what God is saying when God says, you are my son, you are my daughter. Like, this channel is open and anything that is mine can be yours if it's being used in service of me and my mission. That is an incredible kind of life to be a part of. So as we come into this moment of baptism, I want to make two invitations to you. Um, number one is if you have been baptized before. I, I talked to, to people, Christians literally all the time, who say to me, when I was baptized, I did not get it. I really didn't understand what I was doing exactly. I didn't get all the stuff you're saying about what baptism meant. Most of it flew past me. Um, good news for you, that's okay. You don't have to do it again <laughs> because the good news is this is a work of God and not of you, Right? You did not have to totally get it. You didn't have to have your brain wrapped around it for it to work. Even if you didn't get it, if you were committing to Jesus and that's all you got about this whole affair, the Spirit built that channel of connection and it's already there. If that's the place you're starting from this morning, my invitation to you is as Sarai makes her commitment a baptism, I'm just recommit yourself with the words that she's using. When she says yes, you say yes with her. And just invite the Holy Spirit to open that channel up. Like maybe there's some things that have been twisting or clogging and obstructing that. Like maybe you've been holding it shut without knowing it because you didn't know it was there. Just invite the Holy Spirit to open up that connection that is built between you and God And say, yes, God, like whatever you want to send, whatever you want to do through me in my life, I am available to it. I'm available to you. The work of baptism stands. It stands. The connection is there. All it takes is a renewed opening. Now, if you were here today and you haven't been baptized before, let me just offer this as an invitation. This is what God is offering you, what God is offering us in this act It's an invitation, number one, for a grand start over, a grand reboot, the beginning of a new life where you can leave the mistakes of the past behind. And the second thing God offers and is offering you is a chance to have heaven open and for that channel of connection to be built where God says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, I'm pleased with you, I'm glad you're in the world, I wanted one of you, I made you because I wanted you here, and I have a work for you to do. I have something that you are meant to do in the world, and I'm willing to open all of my resources to support you in doing it. You get a reboot, you get a purpose, and all of the resources of God backing what you are being called to do. If you haven't made that decision yet, and if those things sound appealing, I would love to talk to you afterward about being baptized and what that looks like. Um, This is the invitation that God is holding open. It is so worth it. Let's just take a moment and pray, and whatever you had to say to God, God is here, God is listening, let's just take a moment and say it. Lord, you are good and you are so much better than any of us know. I know when I was baptized, I only had the smallest clue about what I was doing. All I really knew is that I wanted Jesus. I didn't know what you were asking me to do, I didn't know what you were offering. But I have experienced the amazing adventure of what it's like to live beneath that open channel. I have experienced and can testify to how you can wash people, not just once, but again and again and again, providing new starts every time we need one. So Lord, for anyone who is here today who is just feeling burdened by the weight of dirt on their skin... Who's tired of resentment, tired of envy, greed, tired of living in the dark, tired of deceit. We confess to you that we have missed the mark. And we pray, Lord, forgive us. Wash us clean. Let us start completely over. Lord, you have said you have a strange memory. You have the capacity when we confess to forget, to cast our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Forget the debt. Forget the mistakes, God. Give us a new beginning. And Lord, for any of us who are hungry today for more of the Holy Spirit, for any of us who are hungry to see what could come through if a channel with heaven was open, we just put our hands beneath our end of that channel, we open them and we say, come, come Holy Spirit, send whatever it is you have to give to us. Send what we know we need, send what we don't know yet that we need. empower us for the purpose you have for our lives so that your kingdom can continue to show up in unexpected places on whatever ground each of us walks on. We desire to see what's possible when it's not us and not our power that's driving things, but when it's yours. When it's the spirit, when it's all the power of heaven powering things. Show us what you can do, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.